0: You know what? We are continuing our journey in the Gospel of Luke. Of course, last week was a celebration of our Resurrection Day. And of course, that's about Christ, isn't it? And uh, when you uh, study the Gospels, you learn more about Christ. When you study the Epistles, you learn more about Christ. You study the Old Testament, you learn you more about learn. Christ. It's all about Him. That's what this is all about. This is why we're here. It's Jesus Christ. We want to learn more about Him because we want to know Him. Not just to have head knowledge, but to know Him. So as we go out of here today, we want to pick up something else to add to the knowledge that He's given us of Him. We want to know Him, don't we? So, uh, you know, this this journey that is showing who Christ is through the Gospels. That's something to look forward to every week. As I study through this, this particular section that we happen to be in every week, it's uh, it just renews uh, a fire in the heart for Christ. And uh, as we continue on with that, we see another glimpse of Christ. Does anybody know this secret? Jesus Christ. Christ believe in the doctrine of sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? How would you know that? Through the Scripture, right? He really believed the absolute sovereignty of God. Jesus did. Of all the doctrines of the Bible, there is none as offensive as the complete, absolute sovereignty of God as far as the human nature is concerned. Because it means God can do whatever He wants to do. That's sovereignty. Total authority. Total power. He can do anything that He wants. And it will never be contrary to His nature. He will always do that. That's a tough one to believe if you have just human nature. Human nature could actually say God is great, God is just, God is good... God is merciful, God is love, God is gracious. Human nature can even say that. But when it comes to passages where it says, He has mercy on whom He will have mercy, that He gives no account of His matters, that it is not of Him who wills, nor of Him who runs, "...but of God who shows mercy." That's right out of Romans 9. These are truths that natural man cannot stand. They do not like that kind of thought of who God is. So we want to have it in our own minds. Whether somebody would like it or not, the sovereignty of God is a doctrine. It is clearly revealed throughout all of Scripture. It should make our thoughts higher and higher of who God is as we have finite minds and He's infinite. So we realize that yes, He is absolutely sovereign. If you're a Christian, you believe that. You can't help but. But we learn more and more how sovereign that is. Sometimes you wonder why there are certain family members that have been converted. And maybe other family members who are not converted. They heard the same gospel. Or you have other people, neighbors, or other quarters of the earth where the gospel has been heard very little or at all. And then there are people that hear it all the time. And there are people who are saved by it. Some parts of the earth have never been enlightened by Christian teaching at all. Some are enlightened, others are just buried in heathenism. One account alone can be given of all this. All is ordered by the absolute sovereignty of God. He is in absolute control or He's not. (laughs) It's one of the two. You can't have Him in the middle. Otherwise, you've met, you've made up a God in your mind and He's an idol. And He's not the true biblical God. This present passage that we're dealing with, if you remember two weeks ago where we cut off and then of course we had a resurrection message which ties right in because if without the resurrection, all of this that we're doing is absolutely useless. Right? Without the resurrection. And so that's right there in the middle. So that's, it's timely to be there. But we were in the middle of a passage where he had returned to his hometown. Remember that? He had been in the Judean uh, uh, area preaching for maybe a, 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 a close to a year, his very first year. And then he went home at, to Nazareth to uh, go into the synagogue, visit there a little bit. He didn't hang there very much at all in his ministry time. Um, he went into the synagogue that Sabbath. He was handed the scriptures. He read Isaiah. And as he read it, and then he finished it, he says, It is fulfilled as I speak. Right here, in the now. It's fulfilled in me, Jesus says. Nobody else can say that, can they? It's fulfilled only in Christ. And that was overwhelming. Matter of fact, he said, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to get to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord." And that's what he read. He spoke about it. People were kind of lost. Oh, Matter of fact, they were more than awed. I mean, they were just amazed. Never had they heard this kind of preaching, this kind of voice that has come on the scene, and he's one of their own. They start thinking about, ah, how can this be? This, this we, we saw him grow up. We know about him, and yeah, what, what, what's the deal? We've been hearing some stories about him doing miracles in Capernaum, not too far away. Down in Judea, He did miracles. Are those true? Does that really happen? So anyway, He speaks to them like nobody had ever spoke. He taught them. But yet, Jesus knew what was in every man's heart. He knew really what they were really thinking. That's the tragedy of it all. As they're saying... How sweet it is to hear what he's saying, and being amazed, he knows exactly what they're thinking and what they really want, and he knows exactly what he's going to do this particular day, and he's going to enrage them as they're speaking at the moment, of just saying, "This guy's something else he's amazing. They would turn from a wonder into outrage. Such a rage that would get them furious. So furious that they want to kill Him. What was it that Jesus said? What in the world did He do? He's like, they're amazed in the very next moment. They want to kill Him. This is what we're going to look at today. Let's rise, let's pick up that Word of God, and let's see what that is. Let's let Jesus speak to our hearts. Let's read Luke 4, starting at verse 23. And He said to them, No doubt, you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And He said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. They got up, drove him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill in which their city had been built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Father, we thank you for your truth. As Jesus gave them truth, as he said, Truly I say to you, this day as we're reading this, This Word has been fulfilled in the person of Christ and He continues to fill His Word up completely. Thank You, Lord, that we have ears. You have given them to us. May this particular passage go deep into our hearts and make us realize who God is and who Christ is a little bit more. We want to know You, even the hard things of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The sovereignty of God. We're entitled in this sovereign mercy. You ever heard of sovereign grace? Sovereign mercy also. And so we're in the Gospel, Luke. We move on and we get to see the nature of Christ as He speaks to His own people. And you would have thought He would have been a little bit soft on them because they're His people that He grew up with. But no, Jesus speaks the truth instead. Sometimes when you speak the truth, it can get you into trouble. And so it did. As we're into verse 23, um, I say we're starting at 24, but 23 kind of helps us introduce us to where we're at here. Like we say, His ministry had been in Judea. He comes home comes home to Nazareth, the people are going, "Wow, what? I've never heard anything like this. This is, this is truly astounding. I've you know, heard about the miracles and everything, and I don't know if I believe all that that you know, his claims that he's the Messiah. He's already claimed that. He's claimed He's a Messiah because He said the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him and He anointed Me. Anointed is Mashiach. Messiah, that's the the word in the Hebrew, to preach the gospel to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, to the oppressed. And they're hearing that. Now He's saying that the people there are there. I don't think they catch that. Or they they don't want to agree that they're poor and they're blind. They don't want to agree that they're really needy. You know what? Keep that in mind as we go through this because this is one of the biggest reasons why they are ready to kill Him after they have been marveling at Him. But the claims that He's making here, the Messiah, there's never a preacher that's been like this man. They're recognizing something like that. There was never an orator like this. I mean, this is the greatest preacher, the greatest speaker, the greatest orator that has ever lived on this planet. Nobody is anywhere close to being equal to this speaker. That's why they were amazed. Wouldn't you like to hear those words of Christ? How they came out of Him? And what He said? One day, we'll be able to hear His voice literally. But in the meantime, we hear His voice through Scripture. We speak to Him in prayer. He speaks to us. And these people are marveling Never heard anything like this. They're stunned by his ability. He never did this while he was here. We never ever heard him preach. So, the greatest preacher who ever opened his mouth. We get to look at that today. You know, we we like to say sometimes this is the greatest baseball team ever, this is the greatest whatever, you know, and and it it could be. But then Christ exceeds all others by far, eternally, doesn't he? So they're in, uh, just admiring the communication ability that he has. They're stirred because they heard the truth. They heard it clearly. They understood what he said. Did you get that? They understand what he's saying because he is the greatest teacher that ever lived. He made sure that they. But did they really understand? He that has ears, right? Salvation. He's already read this. Salvation is available for the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who said that? Jesus. He said it in a sermon. What sermon was that? What's a sermon that everybody admires? The Sermon on the Mount. It's so flowery, it's so beautiful. Actually, it was probably very offensive, but he says the ones who are blessed, the ones who have salvation, are the ones who realize they are poor, they're bankrupt, they have nothing to offer God, their works are zero, they're no good, they're poor, they are destitute. Blessed are the ones who understand that. Salvation is available for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. That's what he's saying. That's what he read out of Isaiah. And he goes along with it and then he explains a little bit further what he means as they want the miracles. They are ready to see something. People want to see something. They want the physical thing. The thing is, we worship in spirit and in truth. We don't get to see a lot of things it's because we cannot see heavenly things we will because we'll have a different glorified body we're limited we see dimly more and more i see dimly actually bob is seeing more and more brighter than he's ever saw before he you know he he got that surgery, and he's over there playing stuff. You know that I had never heard. And I go, wow! And he's singing, and being able to see the words and everything. And he picks up books and 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 reads them now. He goes, you can see. God is good. <laughs> God is good. Blessed are the blind, because <laughs> God will give you sight of who He is. Right? The poor, the blind, the oppressed, the prisoners. The people had heard Jesus speak in their synagogue. They heard about the miracles in Capernaum. They're ready to see the show. Okay, he's talking about this. I can't wait. We want to see it. We're your people. Above all people, you will show miracles galore now, won't you, Jesus? We want want proof to make sure what we've heard is really true. Uh... You know, Satan tried that kind of a deal before when we studied the temptations. You know, look what he offered him, you know. Well, the thing is here, he, he's one of them. He'd become famous. They want to see the spectacular. Well, he knew exactly what they were thinking, he knew what was in their minds. He doesn't hear them say. If you look back in verse twenty three, it says, All oh, were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips, and they were saying, Wait a minute, is isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> Joseph, the carpenter, you know, humble people, Joseph, Mary. Uh, by the way. There were stories that went around all of his life, how he was born. It's questionable, right? It's like, is that really his real father, right? Other side of the tracks, maybe? Maybe they're thinking that's what he is. He says to them, No doubt, you know, isn't this Joseph's son? No doubt you'll quote this proverb to me Physician, heal yourself. He, no doubt, you're 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 wanting me to do a miracle in front of you. Whatever you did at Capernaum, this is what you're thinking. Whatever you did at Capernaum, you can do it here. We want to see it. You want me to do it in your hometown. And he said, "Truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown." Well, what do we have here? Jesus is saying, to believe Me, you have to see it. Faith is not seeing. Faith is just trusting when you don't see it. When things aren't going your way, you're still doing what? Trusting in God. But I don't see it. I don't feel it. That is the natural man. The natural man wants to feel, he wants to see it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We believe him, we trust. Him. That's what he wants. They're not believing in him. He knows what's in there. They're really not believing in him. If if we're going to trust you, we have to just like a physician. We want some proof that you can actually heal people or that you can, you can do something for the sick. If you're really a doctor, then practice it, right? That's the uh, idea that he says. Uh, prove your claims. You've made claims here, now can, can, can you prove it? We're amazed at what you said, now, now prove it. You did these in Capernaum. If that's true, do it here in order that we could believe in you. That's where this is really pointing at. They took offense, though, as he gets into the very substance of his sermon. He's going to draw from the Old Testament, which is really their Bible. There wasn't a New Testament written at the time. He's going to go from Scripture and prove what they're doing is completely different than what he has in mind. So he says, but I say to you in truth, right? Truth. Or back in... Um, it says 24. Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Then he's going to say, But I say you in truth in 25. So in 24, truly, I say to you. Now the word therefore, truly, is the word that we use all the time. Amen. Amen means truth. What you're doing is you're you're agreeing. Amen. True. This is truth, right? I solemnly assure you. This is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I solemnly assure you. Amen. He's telling this. I'm telling you the truth. This is really true. (laughs) Can we we make it any more clear, right? (laughs) I am telling you something here that is absolutely true. So here we go. That's what he starts off with. And of course, whenever he says, uh, no doubt you'll quote this proverb. The word there for proverb is kind of interesting. Uh, the word is parabole. parable parable hmm. parabale to uh, bale throw para parallel alongside to throw alongside this this parallel or this parabole. it has a broad meaning though and it can improve, uh, include proverb which is what he's saying here, or an axiom. Uh, Some kind of like a a principle, a truth. So that's what he starts off with. This proverb that everybody knew. He'd always get on the level of people. Did you ever notice that? They were very uh, agrarian in their society. Many of them were farmers, so he would appeal to the the soils, right? And uh, throwing the seed or people who were fishermen. then he would speak in that way. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. You're fishers of fish right now, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. And it gets right on the very level that they can understand. only thing is, as simple as he can bring it forth, people still can't hear him, what he's really saying. And it takes the Spirit of God to be able to do that, doesn't it? We can't get on spiritual levels, even as basic as it seems. But then you become a Christian, then all of a sudden have you noticed those things make sense. Whereas before they didn't. So you wonder why people don't do things and don't react the way that Christians are thinking. And if they're not Christians, don't expect them to think and do the way that Christians do. Because they're going to do what the natural flesh does. And you would say, well, can't they can't they do this? Can't, Not really. They're not on the spiritual level. So, that is the idea. But that Jesus is trying to do though, and uh, whenever He says, um, dektos, or uh, welcome, He said, and truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Dektos. Welcome. Accepted. Received. Come receive you know to to gather around someone, you know, and, and to bring them in, to put your arm around them, receive them. No prophet has really ever been welcome. Not only his hometown, but the whole area of where he's been prophesying. Why is that? Why aren't they welcome? Because maybe it be that they speak truth. People don't want to hear truth if they are not led to hearing the truth and living out the truth. So that's why many of them were stoned and killed and sawn un- under. By the way, familiarity breeds contempt. When you go away... uh Used to play in bands, and it was funny when you'd go out to places where they had never heard you before. It was like, wow, they were—you know, they were so amazed. People were coming up, man, where'd you guys come from? What, wow, you guys are something else. <laughs> you come back home, you do it, and they just expect you to—you know—to do what you do. You know, you don't hear any. The, the thing is, is that fil- familiarity breeds contempt. You get so used to people that what they do special, you, you know, it's no big deal. So what? Or jealousy, right? More often than not, it's, it's jealousy. And that's just the natural self. Now, um, Jesus understood the Bible. Jesus is the Word, after all, isn't He? He knew the Old Testament history. He knows how repeatedly God's messengers and prophets were rejected. All over the Old Testament, they were rejected one after another after another. They spoke God's word. And this continues to go on in the New Testament as we look at the account of Luke. Let's just go through Luke just for a little bit. Luke chapter 11 verse 49. Here's Luke speaking about this as he is speaking about this in Luke 4. We're we're thinking of of prophets here, right? And them not being accepted in the area where they speak. Luke 11.49 says, For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, people who had direct revelation from God, who spoke it and it was written down, we have it today. Some of them will kill and some they will persecute. Wow, really? People of God who spoke His word? So that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. Woe to them who did not listen to the prophets and killed them chapter 13 of Luke at verse 32. Pharisees approach said to him, said to Christ, go away, leave here for Herod wants to kill you. Verse 32, and he said to them, go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. You wouldn't believe. Behold, your house is left to you desolate and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Of course, there was the Palm Sunday. And there's ultimately when Christ comes back. There's the prophet again. Chapter 20, verses 10 through 12. Prophet will be rejected. That's what we're looking at on these verses. The prophet would be rejected. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So this is a parable, but there was a slave sent. He proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also. I am in Luke 20, verse 11. They treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. Who are these guys representing? The prophets. They kept. He kept sending them, and what did they do? They kill them. God kept sending His very word. God spoke to the people, spoke directly through the prophets. It was written down. You can read all of this stuff. And the people not only rejected, they killed them. Jesus gives a parable there, but the vineyard owner sends his slaves to kill him. Look in verse 13. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. This is the whole story of the Old Testament. And he kept sending the prophets, and then he sent the prophet his son. Perhaps they will respect him, putting it in human terms. But when the growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. Isn't that an interesting parable? He just told the Old Testament all the way up to the time of Christ in a parable. It's easy to see who those are, aren't they? Acts 7, verse 51. This is Luke writing again. Remember, he wrote Luke, and then in Acts, he's writing again. Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. In Acts 7, verse 51 through 53, you have Stephen. Stephen is being persecuted to the point of death, as a matter of fact. In Acts seven verse fifty one, you men who are stiff necked it's not Jesus speaking now, this is this is Stephen, and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Who are the fathers? Those same people who killed the prophets and who killed Jesus, who will continue to kill his spokesman. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the Righteous One, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You did it just like they did in the Old Testament. You too have become murderers. You killed Christ. You killed Messiah. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Did they pride themselves in keeping the law? Oh boy, were they religious. The most religious people on the face of the earth. These people, they knew God's law mentally. Not here. And he says here, you are the ones who received this. The angels brought this to you. Ordained by angels. You're in connection with God's truth. And yet, You didn't keep it. You killed the people who brought it. So, God's message is often met with rejection. Have you ever been rejected when you brought the Gospel to somebody? (laughs) Everybody here has had that happen. They don't want to hear it. Sometimes you already know they don't want to hear it. And in fact, it's going to just go right over their heads. They don't get it. They don't want to get it. Unless God opens their hearts. Many in Israel, in the time of Jesus' ministry, are going to fit right into this tragic mold they did. At this point, Jesus makes a brilliant turn here, a transition, I guess you could say, It's going to back up what He is saying when He's saying... I know what you're thinking. And that's what we just now covered about all this. And then this deal about the prophets and not being welcome. You get that? That's where we're at here in Luke 4. Now, let's go back to Luke 4. He said, Truly, I say to you, truly, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. We looked at the Old Testament passages and we looked at uh, the book of Acts there. We looked at the, the, the Gospel of Luke, Right? What a transition. He said, I'm going to use two individuals of prophets. I'm going to use Elijah and I'm going to use Elisha and who they went to. That's who I'm going to use here. He says, But I say to you in truth. What does that mean? <laughs> He's telling the truth. I want you, that means you better listen. You better let this is truth. Anytime truth is presented, be all ears, right? So there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the sky was shut up for three years and six months, it didn't rain for three and a half years. For how long? Three and a half years. When it doesn't rain here for a few months, you know you start hearing it, you know, how dry we're getting. We're in a drought, which is true, you know, that can be. Uh, that's a few months. Maybe almost a whole summer you can go and have a drought. Maybe even through the fall, through the winter. It's been, been pretty well a drought through the winter, really, here. It's, it's been pretty dry. Three and a half years. I've never gone through it, a three and a half year drought gone through like one, one season and it had a little bit of rain and then the next year it would be kind of dry, but there would be some rain. You know, it's not a desert. It started feeling that way, but not like this. And yet Elijah, you know, famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them. He's talking about the widows. He was not sent to widows in Israel. People were dying. Men were dying. Husbands were dying. There could have been wars and things going on, and there was, you know. Of course, Syria, right there, their their neighbor. Uh, are you guys familiar with Syria? Have you seen them in the news lately? <laughs> they're still at it. <laughs> they're still at it. They have the Muslim religion going behind it, and and they're just as bad and evil and wicked as they were before, maybe even more so. I don't know. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of those widows. Wouldn't why wouldn't he go to them? I mean, that's This is God's people. This is His chosen people. Why don't you send your prophet to them? He he didn't send him. He said only to Zarephath did Elijah go in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So he uses that story. Um, I don't know if it picks up on the American mind there, or even our, you know, the the modern Christian mind. But but think about it. Um, These are people that are supposed to be of God's people. They live in the land of Israel. Let me tell you a couple of stories, Jesus says. Elijah was a prophet. By the way, I've got to put in this... uh, This is the northern kingdom. There's northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom are the ten tribes of Israel that that went uh, north and they got away from God's truth got away from the temple, um, they actually were idolaters. They w- tr- actually turned totally against God. They had their own temple. They had their own way of worshiping. They had their own truth. And so this is where Elijah is preaching, folks. This is where Elisha is. But not down in the southern area of Israel, Judea, tribe of Benjamin in Jerusalem as no, they were up there in the northern kingdom preaching to the really bad people. <laughs> but we know everybody is really bad. But these guys they you know they, they're not listening to truth. God says, No, I don't want you to go to those widows. I don't want you to go there, I want you to go to Zarephath and I want you to go to a particular widow there I have in mind. That's where you're going to go, Elijah. So that's a story that he says. The Israelites don't like to talk about that story. It's true. It comes right out of 1 Kings. First Kings 17. We might have to read that in a moment. Would you guys like to read that? Mm-hmm. Kind of refresh our minds. So this is, this is the setup to it. Jesus saying, I'm not going to give you miracles. I'm going to give it to other people. Oh, they're they're getting really mad. But here's the story. Let's turn back now to 1 Kings chapter 17. Get a little bit of Old Testament this morning. We're going to pick it up at verse 8. Now, Elijah is living during the time of King Ahab. And if we had music or drums right there... And then I would stop in silence. If you hear Ahab, you go... The worst of the worst. None of the kings in the northern kingdom were any good. Did you get none? Not one. None. They were all evil, all wicked... Very evil, very wicked. This man was beyond them, as it says in 1 Kings 16. Now are you getting the picture? This is where Elijah has been ministering. And here comes verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Don't you like that? The word of the Lord. Do you like to hear the word of the Lord? What was it? Arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to, he emphasizes this, Sidon. That's really, ooh, if you're from Israel. Everybody go, ooh. And stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, went to Zarephath. Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. Uh, Really? Give me some water? This, This is the drought, folks. As she was going to get it, she's going to get whatever little water she has, he called her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. She doesn't have hardly any left. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. Behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Does that mean it's poison? No. This is the last meal that they're going to have. It's very little. That means some days later they're going to die. This is it. This is the last meal. And so you want me to give this to you. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first. Give me a little bit of it. There's not much left. It's very little. You give me some. Sounds selfish, doesn't he? Make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. You know what? She believes in this God. He speaks. She listens. She does it. The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty. Until the day that the Lord, Yahweh, sends rain on the face of the earth. It'll never empty. It'll always be there. Somehow you dip in there and you keep dipping there every day and it's always there. You don't run out. It's always there every day till the drought was finished. So she went out and did according to the word of Elijah or the word of God. She just did it. Are you kidding me? My last meal? There's no way I'm going to do that. No. She just went and did it. She and he and her household ate for many days. It was until the time was over of the that drought. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Now, there's another story where her son dies. Elijah then does this miracle and raises him back to life. She was saying, "Well, you know, what's going on? You're a man of God, and you know, you come here, and now it's you know, later here is the, her son dying. Of course, he comes back to life. Now, she's a believer of Yahweh, of the true God. She's a pagan. Strike one. But she's not really a pagan because she's a believer, but she's Gentile. She's a woman. Strike two. She is from the area of Tyre and Sidon. Phoenicia. This happens to be Zarephath. Zarephath is between Tyre and Sidon. The big cities. Okay, what does that mean to us? Oh, it's just a city on the coast. No. These are real enemies. They do not associate with that that area. Israel does not. Those at Northern Kingdom. These guys are wicked and evil. That's true. Yeah, they are. They are. What's going on here, God? Does God know this? Yeah. <laughs> No miracle doing it here in Nazareth, Jesus is saying, as we take it now up to that time. He says, Because you've got hard hearts. Just like it was back at the time when Elijah went to the woman who was a widow, who was of Sidon, who was a Gentile. She has already struck out, as far as they're concerned. And he's. He's saying you're just like Israel back in those days. You have hard hearts. You're not believing. You're laden with your sins. And you don't believe My words. That's really what Jesus is saying when He says that's what they're hearing. They're getting it. So we read the days of Elijah there, didn't we? Remember that song? These are the days of Elijah. This period was a very low point. In Israel's history, they have a lot of low points. This is very low. They rejected God. It was an the rejection was at an all-time high. It was like nobody there in the Northern Kingdom really believed in God. Yet you have Elijah, and God did say, "Hey, I have seven thousand others who believe." Right during that time. Now. They were into idolatry. They were unfaithful. If somebody said they believed in God, what would they say? Yes, I believe in God. God moved His works of mercy outside of the area where He had always worked. That's the way it should be, right? Well, people don't think the way that God thinks. And He says, I'm going to move this out of this area to a land where there are pagans. So, we don't understand the culture as much as we should. We ought to know that there were many widows of Israel at that time. God doesn't send Elijah to those widows. Who does He say? A a widow who's a Gentile. We're in the ministry of somewhere, you know, what... Eight centuries back before Christ, uh, there were many widows. Okay, now, during that time, there's a king, King Ahab. And of course, if you were in a theater, you go boo! (laughs) Because he's the worst king, really, amongst all the worst kings. He's the worst of the worst. He had married a woman who was not of Israel and her name was Jezebel and everybody would go, Boo! Have you ever known anybody to name their baby Jezebel? I have not ever seen anybody with the name of Jezebel. I'm sure somewhere there is. But I have never heard of anybody in my lifetime that has that name Jezebel. wonder why that is. Matter of fact, I've never even heard of anybody called Ahab. Uh, Since that probably are, but I haven't heard of them. So it really doesn't matter. But she's a Gentile, and she's a Baal worshiper. Well, Ahab knows of the true God. That's what he was born into. You know, he's from the ten tribes, he's from Israel, right? But Ahab became a Baal worshiper. His wife led him into that. Of course, God had told them not to marry anybody outside their, their people. All of Israel, because of Ahab, became a worshiper of Baal. Are we getting it? This is during this time. Ahab, it says in 1 Kings, he did more to anger God than all the kings of Israel before him. I think that is significant. He was a wretched, wicked king who worshipped Baal. He had a wife who was the one who led him into worshipping Baal. He led all of Israel to worship Baal. So here's Elijah now in the midst of this situation. The whole nation is worshipping Baal. There are many widows So it came time in Israel, they are absolutely apostate. Worshipping Baal, they turned from the true God. They're worshiping false gods. There are many widows. God sends a judgment on Ahab. Sends a judgment on the Israel. And they had a three and a half year drought. That's a pretty good curse, isn't it? So he sent to Zarephath. Elijah is. Zarephath is the land of Gentiles to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow there. Like we said, she strikes out on every matter. She needs to be sent back to the bench, sent back to the minor leagues, and maybe even out of baseball entirely. Right? We're using the strikes. She, she is of no value to them. Uh, this is far worse than they can imagine. Uh, but to go to Sidon, That is just unthinkable. God sending a prophet to Sidon. How could God ignore the Jews? How can He do that to us? Right? He did it. How could He possibly send a prophet to go minister to a Gentile woman widow when we have all the widows? Here you have this king here. By the way, let's learn a little bit. We know a little bit about Jezebel. How about her father? Well, he was a Baal worshiper. He taught her to worship Baal. Matter of fact, he had a name by the name of Eth Baal. And that means Baal is alive. He renamed his name to Baal is alive. This guy was a wicked man. He had murdered his predecessor. He was a king, by the way. By the way, he is also a priest. He was a priest and a king. He was a priest in the temple of Melquart and Astart. And those are definitely uh, deities in the Baal worship. This is the most wretched thing imaginable king but also a priest and serving in the temple and so that's her father's so you can imagine what she's like and of course just the name jezebel and and then ahab uh, and you have elijah out here and he's been prophesying and nobody is really listening although god has his people God sends Elijah in the midst of all the famine over to Zarephath. And this is a widow who believes in the true God. A widow in the midst of pagan ungodliness that is going there. A godless era. She believes in the true and living God. And this prophet of God goes to her This whole deal with the food supply and how Israel goes, or Elijah goes about this, is incredible, isn't it? This is all I've got, but she's willing to go ahead and do that. And and she says, even even at that, what? It's only one meal. So what if I uh, I die one meal before, uh, you know, whatever. If I die before that, it it doesn't matter. I'm going to die, unless he is the God of Israel. And Of course, he proved that. He showed that. He did that. He showed that to to her. Why didn't he show that? Elijah show that to the people in Israel? Well, Elijah didn't really do a lot of miracles, although God could work through him on that. But uh, the people really weren't wanting to believe. And when Jesus came, they really his own people really didn't want to believe. He knew. In his head and in his heart, what was going on there? He knew that they wouldn't say this. We are destitute. We are in poverty. We are desperate. We are needy. We need You to save us. We're desperate. We're bankrupt spiritually. That's what they needed to really say. They needed to become humble. She made the the cake and the prophet ate it. The barrel was never empty. Supernatural working that he did there with this widow who was not of Israel. And so he's saying, it's almost like he's saying, let me tell you something, you Jews. You may be part of Israel. But just because you're a part of Israel and there's a certain blessing that you've had, you've had the covenants, you've had the Word of God brought to you like nobody else has, and you are taught about the Messiah, and, and you're looking to the Messiah, and I want to tell you this, God will save an outcast Gentile widow who admits her spiritual destitution before He'll ever save you mention this story is enough he has one more this is elisha in second Kings chapter 5 this is Naaman Naaman's Assyrian Verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Get that, a leper. Now the Aramaeans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she had waited on Naaman's wife. She served her. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria then he would cure him of his leprosy. This is Elisha. Naaman went in, told his master, saying thus, and thus, spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed, took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I a Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. What happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel." Since you guys don't believe. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you'll be clean. Seven times. Are you kidding me? In the muddy Jordan? Come on. Why why would he do that? But Naaman was furious and went away and said, I mean, he's a prideful man. He says, No way I'm going into Israel's dirty, muddy river. Seven times—that's ridiculous. It says, "Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper." <laughs> a big show. Okay. Not Abana and Parfar—the rivers of Damascus—better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? <laughs> so he turned, went away in a rage. I mean, he was furious, folks. God said, "Okay, that's it. I'm, sure I'm not going to do anything with him." I mean, guy's a leper I hear I got a chance this folks God works however he wants to he's going to bring this guy to his knees literally servants came near spoke to him said my father had the prophet told you to do some great thing would you not have done it how much more than when he says to you wash and be clean So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child he was clean. Leprosy. Oh! He is a gentile, he is an enemy, he has leprosy. Lepers were always sent outside the camp. They can't worship in our synagogue. They are destitute, they're cast out. Get away from us. That's even in Israel. Now, leprosy, you know, the it was really a kind of a broad term. We think of Hansen's disease today, but there was disfiguring diseases at that time. We're talking about of the skin. Uh it, this probably a, of the worst kind that they had at the time. They would be cut off from all fellowship, from all kind of social activity, anything. You were outcast completely. Other side of the tracks, and nobody goes to them. Well, Israel had many of these lepers, and who did God have Elijah to go to? Think about it. He is a Syrian. Syrians... Are there absolute enemies? Just like today? You know, Syria could be launching missiles over into Jerusalem, right? Or getting ready to, what have you. You We know Syria is not on the side of, of Israel. Well, they've always been enemies. And this is the same Syria. He's a Syrian general. Wow! And God is going to go to him? He's not even a believer. Well, he's going to make you one. That's what God does. He's in the business of saving people that you would never think would deserve it. By the way, nobody deserves it. This blows the people's mind. Syria. Matter of fact, they had been raiding Israel. Coming over into their land, breaking the borders, coming in and just doing whatever they wanted to do. It was a constant thing. Guess who was leading in that? This man. <laughs> they would take prisoners back to Syria. One of them happened to be a servant, a slave of of, uh, of him and his wife. She helped his wife. And uh, so he took this girl. She had a great attitude. She really did. She knows about his leprosy and says, Hey, you know what? I got an idea. I know this man of God over, you know, in in Israel. And I'll tell you what, he is a man of God. He can heal your leprosy. She had quite a belief, didn't she? God can heal you. You know what happened? Well, God humbled him, didn't he? somebody used this uh, title of the sermon called seven ducks in a dirty pond duck 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 <laughs> dirty pond go over there in this dirty river duck yourself seven times how humiliating for a man of dignity even though he has leprosy he is a noble dignified man he is a general i beg your pardon <laughs> Go dump yourself seven times into the Jordan River over there in Israel. So it goes back, the servant says, well, better a dirty river and a clean Naaman. Sure enough, if you have no relief, you have no cure, there's no healing, you only have the true God of Israel who can do this. Okay, I'll do it. here's the answer right here. I'm a leper, and I can only depend upon this true God of Israel. Okay, now you're in the synagogue. Let's go up to the time of Jesus now. This is not going well. Those people who were just cheering for Jesus a few moments ago, are absolutely, He did it. He. Nobody speaks about First Kings seventeen and Second Kings five. Nobody. Shh, don't even talk about that. We don't, don't recognize this. A widow from Jezebel's hometown. Look what he did. There. We're worse than a Syrian general. Who's a Gentile? Who's a leper? This is absolutely intolerable. The people are ready to kill. A few moments before, they were ready to make Him King. Just a few words of truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, of course the irony is that though they saw themselves as basically good, they were very religious folks in the synagogue, weren't they? They went to synagogue every Sabbath. They were so angry at Jesus. His message convicted And all of a sudden the people don't like a sovereign God. They don't like that He can have mercy on some and not mercy on others when they deserved the mercy. They were good as long as no one confronted their true heart, their true condition, and He went right inside the heart. He went right exactly where they needed to get it. These stories offend people today in the same way. And when you say that God chooses His... He has the elect out of His own sovereignty and He chooses whom He wants to choose, people get extremely offended. It's only biblical. It's all the way in the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. First... They were offended because the stories clearly teach that God sovereignly chooses those on whom He bestows His mercy. No one can demand His grace because we're all undeserving sinners. If God chooses to go outside Israel and bestow His blessing on a widow in Sidon, which is dealing with the the Gentiles, pagans, or a general in Syria, and withhold His blessing from those chosen people in Israel, He's free to do that, isn't He? The people hear this and say, no. No, He's not. It's not the kind of God I want. That's what I hear today too. When you talk about God being in His nature that He is, that's not fair. If He chooses to show His mercy to some, that's His prerogative to be the sovereign potter. That's what Romans 9 is about to show mercy to some and to others not. He has mercy on whom He desires and He hardens whom He desires. Romans 9.18 The proud man cries out, what? That's not fair! And the answer is, God, who are You, old man, who answers back to God? Who are You to question Him This doctrine was so offensive. The religious people think that they are deserving of God's blessing. We never deserve God's blessing. What reason do we have that we would deserve God's blessing? But by God's grace, He chooses some and not others. This story right here shows it. And I know some people can say, I'm mad at this. I can't. I do not believe that. Okay, then you don't believe the Old Testament. You don't believe Jesus who mentions this and uses it throughout the New Testament. And we don't believe Paul and the rest of the epistles all the way through Revelation. We don't believe it. The second reason is he bestows his blessings on pagans as well as the religious <laughs> I'm really something because I'm one of God's chosen people. No. That should humble us. That really puts us in position of you know, saying, I don't deserve anything. I deserve the worst of hell. This is what I really am. I'm away from God. But you know what? Because of what Christ does, He makes it totally different. But we were spiritually destitute. We were bankrupt before God. We cannot buy our way into heaven. We cannot do anything to please Him. We can only receive from Him. We have nothing to offer. We come to Him empty-handed. And worse than that, we're on the minus side. We don't deserve it. And that is what grace and mercy and love means so much to us. Because when we really realize that, yeah, I'm, No matter how religious I am, no matter how good I am, it's never good enough. It never will be good enough. We're blind. We're beggars. We're from the kingdom of darkness, unable to free ourselves from the wicked ways. Before we had Christ, He opens our eyes. These people are so angry. He's insistent on the fact that they humble themselves. What had He already said to them in Luke? I came to preach to the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. And he is really saying, That's you. And you know what they're saying? That's not us. Because we have goodness in us. Jesus knows better, doesn't he? They're so angry. They have to humble themselves like the Syrian leader did. Did he finally do it? He did. This is absolutely intolerable to them. A lifelong Jew. A lifelong attender of the synagogue. And he hears this. Away with him. The rest of them join. They don't believe in Jesus. It's because they don't see themselves as poor, as prisoners, as blind, as oppressed. In their minds, they were respectable people with their respectable sins. And then we read Luke 4.30. We close with this. But passing through their midst, He went His way. How did He do that? I don't know. Mm -hmm. He let them lead lead Him all the way to the brow of the hill to throw Him over the cliffside. That would kill Him. He just lets them do that to go up there and then to show, you want to see a miracle? Watch this. Just walks right on out of there. However that happened. If they wanted proof, all they needed to do was ask Him to save them from their sins. That is what we need to see. They had to admit their sins and they wouldn't. Close of prayer. Father, we thank you for this truth, the truth that Jesus has given us. Thank you, Lord, for your sovereign grace. You can do anything, any way that you want it, and it's always right. Have that in our hearts always, that you can do whatever you want, and you can, and it says in Romans that you will work all things together for good, for good to those who love You and are called according to Your purpose. In Your Son's name, Amen.